Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. I'm very excited today because I think that we could talk to our two guests forever and ever and ever. I think this could be a podcast that is several part series. Melissa, how pumped are you to talk to Annie and Litzy today? Yeah, I'm just really excited to talk about um, some professional learning. It's not necessarily something we talk about a lot, Mm -hmm. um, but so super important for curriculum implementation. So they have a lot of knowledge to share with us and I'm excited. Yeah. So these these are the gals from Rivet Education and we couldn't be more excited to talk to them because we really do believe what they believe and that's that professional learning is the key lever in implementing high quality instructional materials. So Annie and Litzy, welcome to the podcast. I'm going to say your name, uh, Litzy, because I practiced. So we have Annie Morrison and Litzy Vizkopsky. Did I say it? Yeah, (laughs) from Rivet Ed. Welcome. Uh, We'd love for you to introduce yourself. And let's see, why don't you go first since um, you have the best last name? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So hi, everyone. I'm Litzy. I'm one of the co-founders of Rivet Education, along with my colleague here, Annie. Um, And um, I started my career as a seventh grade math and science teacher in the Bay Area. Um, and then um, worked for Teach for America for a while on the teacher support and development team, um, and then um, have worked for uh, a couple of state agencies, uh, the Louisiana Department of Ed, which is where I met Annie, um, and um, then also the Texas Education Agency. Um, And really, I have sort of, over, over the course of my career, focused mostly on issues related to instruction, um, teacher professional development, and uh, teacher leadership, which in, has, of course, included HQIM or high quality instruction materials and the professional development that, as you just said, Laurie, teachers need in order to implement those materials effectively. Yeah, thank you. I give a shout out to a former middle school teacher. We've had a few of them lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, middle, middle school teachers are hard to come by. <laughs> Annie, welcome to you. Tell us a little bit about you. Hi, everyone. Um, I am not a middle school math teacher, and God bless all middle school teachers, because I think that might be the hardest job. Um, But I actually started my career in public relations, so my degree is in public relations, um, and fell into education. I um, dreamed of working for the Dallas Cowboys and running their philanthropy programs, and somehow ended up in education. Um, And I have um, been in education since 2017, and different capacities working with um, charter school management organizations and went to work at the Louisiana Department of Education um, and was with the agency for seven years as their director of communications. Um, And so helping the agency really think through the strategic communications around all of our many, many, many reform efforts that we um, undertook there under John White. And that's how I met Lucy. And so we've been colleagues for a long time. That's awesome. Awesome. Annie, I feel like um, I didn't know that you had big football dreams. Um, <laughs> I'm Huge always watching. <laughs> me too. I'm always watching football, and I feel like the my cleats, my cause. I want to be like, listen, high quality instructional materials is the place to put your money, and <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> but I don't. Maybe you have an in yes, at the Dallas I Cowboys. I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like I love the fact that now our national like teachers of the year are getting recognized at the college championship game. Like that's so exciting to me. I'm like geeking out at the beginning. I'm like hoping they show more of it uh, before the game kicks <laughs> off and like recognize and amazing work those educators do. So that's awesome I love that oh well we we know that you uh started Rivet in 2019 and we are very curious how did Rivet come to be so you work together at the Louisiana Department of Ed and then voila (laughs) tell us the story well I think it kind of goes back to um the the work to form where it really started back in 2012 when um that's when I started with the agency and uh, it was also the year that we launched Louisiana Believe, which uh, was a multi-year strategic plan um, in which we were going to put forth many efforts to basically give our students the same opportunity as any other students in the country. Um, and so 
and really this plan had multifaceted, but it was really centered around a change theory that we kind of um, started in Louisiana where we believed as a state agency, it was our role to define the quality of standards, materials, professional learning and assessments um, that were being used in our state and really incentivize their use. Um, and so I think this like in Louisiana, we figured out a way to like walk the line of incentivizing quality with like still allowing our school districts to have that local control and make those decisions that were in the best interest of their students and teachers. Um, and I think this is a role that's like all, all too often not realized by most state agencies, um, but it's a role in which we like embraced um, in Louisiana. And one, I think that really like played out with a lot of rewards. Um, but, you know, Rebecca Kochler used to always say, if you make the best choice, the easiest choice, um, then you can encourage better decisions at the local level. And that's what we saw in Louisiana. And so what we decided is that we thought we would, you know, start with instructional materials um, and make sure that our teachers had access to the best materials. And so as a state agency, we then like became streamlined focused on like all of the tools, resources, funding, and training we provided were going to be aligned to those materials we had deemed the highest quality. And obviously we're aligned to our state standards. Um, and as a result, we really started to see a significant increase in the number of districts using high-quality instruction materials right away. Um, and we started seeing student outcomes improve. Um, but then things started to level off. And when we took a deeper look um, and started having conversations uh, with teachers and observing classrooms, we realized that our teachers just weren't always using the materials as intended. And this was a no fault of their own. They just didn't know how to, and they hadn't been provided with the right training in which to do that. Um, and so it was then that um, John and Rebecca led uh, the launch of like a multi-part professional learning strategy in our state. Um, and that strategy included um, providing like direct training to our teachers through our teacher leader initiative and like the teacher leader summit, which is a gathering of 6,000 educators every summer in Louisiana. It's just wow. an incredible three-day experience. Yeah. Um, and Can we, we also developed. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think, I think they're trying to have it back in person this year. So we will That's see amazing. fingers crossed because wow. the virtual experience is just yeah. not the same. It's just <laughs> to be in that theater and John speaking to a room of 6,000 of like your best friends. It's like, it's pretty cool. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, there it, you, uh, the teachers missed the opportunity to, you know, have, um, hurricane drinks on Bourbon Street when, when the teacher leader <laughs> totally is not in person. <laughs> not quite the same virtually. To really, to, yeah, just, to debrief the conference. Like right, yeah, it usually happens right after the school year ends, so it's like also a three-day opportunity for our teachers just to laugh and enjoy each other's company for sure. Um, but the strategy also included like developing local content experts and curriculum experts through our content leader initiative. Um, and then we also provided our districts with like a vendor marketplace that pointed them to those organizations who could support them in implementing their curriculum. Um, and like when we put that multifaceted professional learning strategy in place, that's when we really started to see the needle move. And we started to see student performance increase and that wasn't just at the local level. Like we were starting to see, um, you know, national assessments like NAEP improve as well. We were, you know, Louisiana was one of the, uh, was the fastest growing uh, state on eighth grade NAEP. And I think the second uh, to fastest growing state on eighth grade ELA, um, which was really powerful for a state like Louisiana, who all too often is either at like the bottom or just above Mississippi and like Arkansas, I think, of, like yeah. uh, most like national measures. Um, and so I think it was really seeing the impact um, that high quality materials aligned with high quality professional learning was having on our state. Um, it's really what inspired us to form Rivet. Because um, as I mentioned earlier, I think as we started to get more national attention for these reform efforts, it became very clear to Litsy and I that like, oh, wow, other states aren't doing this. Um, yes. Other state <laughs> agencies aren't playing this role. Um, and we just like, we wanted other states to be doing that work. Um, and so we formed Rivet to really help other states realize their potential, um, and the role that they can and should be playing in our opinion in scaling the adoption and implementation of high quality instruction materials. 
so that's kind of how we came to be. Um, and the word rivet is a play on like how a rivet fastens two pieces of metal together. So um, we see ourselves as like that connector of um, connecting districts to high quality materials and pro professional learning partners. Also, as a female-owned company, Rosie the Riveter is our mascot. Um, you may see in the background, we both have <laughs> Rosie the Riveter posters. Um, so we're also it's also a play on Rosie, Rosie the Riveter. We love that. Of course. I mean, go girl power, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. 2021 is, is the perfect year for girl power. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm wondering... Um, when you said, so I know, I can't remember if I shared this in our pre-call or not, but I also worked at the State Department here in Maryland, um, just like you all, you know, had that experience at the LDOE. And I just have to wonder, you know, why aren't more states doing this? Because um, to, to me, high quality instructional materials are like a baseline. It, it should be like your basic human right to get high quality materials that kids should be reading books in school. <laughs> um, I was going to say the same thing, Laurie, because yeah. here, I mean, we are not talking about it in Maryland, although Baltimore gets a lot of attention because we are in Baltimore. We're actually like kind of pushing against the grain for our mm -hmm. state, which is mm -hmm. a weird place to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because it's, I think it's, I don't know. I want to hear from you all before I give my own um, <laughs> surmise about it. But um, why aren't why aren't more states doing this? And how can we communicate this work to the larger field? Like I, I know that part of what you do is that yeah. communication piece. Um, but you know, the once they baseline high quality materials, that's like step one. And then you're walking into the unknown, and they need that professional learning as a wraparound support. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I think there are probably a few yeah. reasons for that. One, I think like this idea of instructional materials um, being a really foundational component of good instruction, um, which is a, a belief that, that Rivet has, right? We just like deeply believe that although high quality instruction materials and aligned professional learning, they're not the silver bullet, they are a foundational component of making sure that all students have the opportunity to engage in meaningfully, like and engage in a meaningful way in rigorous content every day. And also like, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here and y'all have talked a lot about this on your, on your podcast, but it also just uh, uh, frees teachers up to focus their time and energy on what they are best equipped to do, which is really bringing students uh, lessons to life for their students and meeting the needs of all learners. Like that is where their time is best spent. But I think that that's still a relatively new concept, right? So I'm based in Austin, Texas. Um, and there are lots of districts here who um, really do, and, and, and teachers here who really deeply believe that it is a teacher's job Mm -hmm. to creating materials from scratch and that if you're not doing that you're not like a real teacher um and so I think there's like a big mindset uh, mindset shift that that is happening there and I think that there's certainly um growing uh consensus that instruction materials matter but I would still say it's relatively new and then as Annie said I think the idea that state agencies can um point to quality and uh incentivize districts to select high quality instruction materials is also relatively new, right? Like there's a lot of local control around instruction materials as there should be because districts know their students best, but it can be really hard to figure out among the plethora of materials out there, what is good. And so we think that state agencies can play a role in saying, Hey, figuring out what is good is really hard like, let us help you do at least that point part. And from the, the set of great materials out there, yes, districts, you should be choosing the ones that are the best fit for your local students. But I think it's just a little bit of a shift in the role of a state agency. And then again, I want to, Annie did this a little bit before, but I just want to give a shout out to, to the leaders of LDOE, um, you know, folks like John White and Rebecca Kochler, who led a lot of this work. Like, they were just really innovative, strong leaders um, who were able to sort of figure out what this could look like for a state agency to do. Because it's it's one thing to say a state agency should be doing this. It's a different thing to do it well. And having really strong leaders like John and Rebecca was a, a core component of that. 
I just have to, let's see, I have to, you reminded me of my first year of teaching, which also happened in Louisiana. <laughs> um, and I was handed the Louisiana standards for high school English, which was, they were slim. <laughs> there wasn't many um, and told to go. And I remember actually walking around our school, looking in closets for any book I could find <laughs> for students. Um, and that was not terribly successful or uh, a good use of my time. Um, so I just like, I mean, if I had what Louisiana has now, I would have been a much better first year teacher <laughs> than I was. Like no teacher should be put in that spot where like you have literally nothing to start with. Yeah. I mean, that really resonates with my experience as a teacher as well, Melissa. So as I mentioned, I started out as a seventh grade math and science teacher in the Bay Area. And um, my, granted, this was back in 2004, but I was handed the teacher's edition of a textbook and was, you know, a week before school started or something and was like, okay, go teach. And I was creating my lesson plans from scratch, mm -hmm. my unit plans from scratch, my assessments from scratch, everything from scratch. I was up until, and this was before teachers pay teachers and, and, and <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so, and I, you know, I was up till 2 AM doing this yep. and, you know, for no fault of my own, like my, my training and the training that teachers, you know, typically go through does not equip them to be curriculum writers, right? You have to have such deep knowledge of content and yeah. content pedagogy and, you know, a deep understanding of the ways in which kids learn to write materials from scratch. And for, again, no fault of their own. That's just typically not what our teachers are trained to do. And it is incredibly time consuming. Yeah. And so I just think about the hours, you know, in the wee hours of the morning that I was writing my own lesson plans and like how much better my instruction would have been for my students had I had high quality instruction materials. And then my time could have been focused on internalizing those, figuring out where my kids were going to struggle and needed some additional scaffolding, right? And figuring out how I'm going to really bring those, those lessons to life for my, for my students, given my students' background. Like that is where I should have been spending my time, not like figuring out what my do now is going to be. So that your story really resonates with me as well. For sure. I'm going to jump in because I feel like I'm the third teacher on the call and <laughs> sorry, Annie. Um, <laughs> but just to like, to hit a point home, I did my student teaching in Baltimore, which uh, Baltimore City, which is really interesting. And that's where I ended up um, coming full circle and, and being um, years later. Uh, same experience, Melissa, as Melissa, I was given the standards. And I remember my student teacher like handed me the standards and was like, so create a lesson on adjectives for tomorrow. I was like, well, what have they been like doing? Like reading, do, you know, I mean, there was like nothing. I didn't know what book they were reading. I didn't know no other guidance. So I was just whipping up these random lessons about, I mean, really skill-based lessons that could have been integrated, but weren't. Um, there was no really cohesive thread that I could identify as a 20-year-old, you know, and also the collegiate institution was pushing me to, quote, be creative, use my creative skills to whip up this lesson, yep. to use all of the pedagogical knowledge that they'd taught me to create this lesson. Um, and then, you know, at the end, create unit, a unit plan like that. I remember having to do a unit plan, like three weeks worth of lessons. And it wasn't, it wasn't what you just mentioned. Um, let's see, it was from scratch creating using the, the standard as a guide. Um, but what this also makes me think of is how, you know, how much we need rivet and how much we need people like you. Um, because that was, oh my gosh, that was in 2002 probably. Um, and last year, two years ago, two years ago, Melissa, right? I was in Baltimore City. Um, so not last year, two years ago. Um, so a little, almost, almost 20 years later. Um, is that math right? Yeah, close, close enough. 16, 20, <laughs> we'll round up, we'll round up. Um, I thought, you weren't a math teacher, so we'll Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for Litzy to be like, the exact number is. <laughs> um, I was in a classroom, I was in a sixth grade classroom um, supporting uh, teachers in Baltimore. And I remember a student teacher walked in to teach her lesson. And at that time, Baltimore had adopted a Witten Wisdom ELA. And the teacher came in to teach her lesson and had taken the sixth grade lesson and had um, rewrote it 
as per her assignment for college, which I think that's the really important piece mm-hmm. to say here. And when she had rewritten it, um, it took all of the rigor out. Um, basically, when I tried to like find so that I could kind of like help her conceptualize what she had done, it was like third grade standards. Um, but And it looked nothing like that lesson that was supposed to be taught for that day. Mm-hmm. And it was a unit. So it wasn't just this one. It was this was one day of like her first 21 days of teaching. So now we're impacting several, <laughs> like a month of kids learning. Um, oh, so your work is so important in this. How, you know, how, how do we support teachers and leaders and, and mm-hmm. collegiate institutions and, and states in understanding and trusting the curriculum and then also having the PL to support that? Yes, I think, you know, we at River believe all teachers deserve the type of, like, PL that you receive from great minds, right? Like, that not only helps them to use those materials really well, but at the end of the day, like, helps them to hone their craft and, like, become a better teacher um, because they're then ultimately giving kids the education they deserve. Um, And so I think, you know, for us, we had to, you know, kind of, start by saying like what is our definition as an organization of high quality professional learning like what do we believe are those like key tenets to PL um and you know for us it's really like boils down to like five things um I think we believe that high quality professional learning should be relevant to teachers content area and grade level um, because what it takes to implement uh, wit and wisdom in a kindergarten or first grade classroom versus like a fifth grade classroom looks very different. Um, but also it's relevant to their own like cultural and learning differences. Um, we want to make sure that like that's taken into account and like the appropriate supports are being provided teachers and to teachers throughout their professional learning in the same way we would make those modifications for students and classrooms. Um, we also believe that good PL is equitable, um, and it equips teachers to ensure that all of their students, no matter their race, income, circumstances, or disabilities, have the opportunity to thrive academically and even personally. Um, and so what this means is that providing teachers with the um, professional learning that helps them understand how to make smart, deliberate adjustments to their materials that support all students. Um, and what great PL really does is help teachers understand how their own bias may be playing um, out in their classroom, right? That the, the changing of questions or the lowering of level of questions that they're doing because they don't want to put undue pressure on their kids. And in fact, in some cases can be is implicit racism, right? Like, and they don't realize that all too often. And so I think helping teachers to understand how to make better decisions and um, more deliberate adjustments that don't just like water down a curriculum for their students is important. Um, We also believe good PL is ongoing. You cannot, you know, do what all three of you said and hand a teacher a curriculum and go, have a nice day and walk away. Like that is not uh, going to support that teacher in the long term. And so we believe that like, you know, PL needs to happen, um, you know, implementing a new curriculum in particular over like just several years and providing teachers that like ongoing ability to practice um, and collaborate and get the coaching and support that they need. We also think good PL is engaging. Like you should not be bored to tears in your professional learning experiences. You know, good PL really does create a space in which educators can like develop and discuss ideas. It allows them to practice new skills using the materials practice like a student um, and receive feedback from others and give feedback on their practice. Um, and then finally, as we're all saying here, most importantly, we think, you know, good PL is specific. It is, you know, not only helps deepen teachers understanding of what to teach and how to teach it, but it does so within the context of their curriculum that they're using in their classroom every single day. Um, and so for us, that is good PL. Um, and so at Rivet, what we did was take those tenets um, and form the basis of our evaluation system for the professional learning partner guide, which essentially is a list of professional learning organizations that provide the best curriculum aligned PL in the country. Um, and so the criteria that our um, expert reviewers 
used to evaluate the um, organizations that are in our guide against all reflect those five tenants that I just mentioned. And I also want to say I want to give a shout out to our review team. So we have 23 reviewers from across the country who are curriculum and PL rock stars. Um, you know, our, our reviewers, we're so proud of them. We love them. They commit a lot of time to this process for us um, and making sure that the organizations we feature in the guide are best in class. Um, so I definitely want to give a shout out to those reviewers because um, they it's are. Like, to be clear, we're not their day job. Them. Like they all have day jobs, yes. right? So these are they are like CAOs of like big school districts or vice presidents of like charter management organizations. Like they have big and very important <laughs> jobs, and the fact that they spend their Christmas holiday yeah. with us, <laughs> yeah, reviewing PL materials is like very humbling, and we are oh. very very appreciative <laughs> of it. <laughs> Um, one of our reviewers texted Litsy and I the other day and she's like, you know, I became a curriculum snob because <laughs> of the process I went through to adopt instructional materials in my district. And now Rivet has made me a PL snob. And I was like, we love Funny. it. We love it. <laughs> We're going to get mugs made that just say PL snob on them. Yes. Nice. PL snob. <laughs> I have to say, though, I'm just so thankful for you all for naming those. Like when you said each one, Annie, I was like, how many like professional development sessions have I sat through who did that was the exact opposite of this? <laughs> um, you know, especially like how many times have we gone to a one day training that I never thought about again and spent yeah. so much time doing that? Um, you know, mm-hmm. and- Melissa, how many times off. like not to not to say that. I mean, we, I feel like I delivered that kind of PD. Oh, for sure. Like, I, <laughs> you know, like I have to name that too. Like, yeah. well, I'm not blaming other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did, we did right. this. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I think I was um, 15 years into my career when, or, or more, 16 years into my career when Baltimore adopted Win Wisdom and we received for the first time, we, Melissa and I sat in curriculum aligned PD and it was meaningful and purposeful. You know, we were engaged. Um, it was it was like everything clicked, made sense. There was research to support it. Um, but like but prior to that, everything had been. Um, I'll give examples. Like, and I mean, again, I've presented this kind of stuff, so it's it. You know, no better, do better. We'll put that out there. Um, mm-hmm. This quote: the standards, PD on the standards, right? Um, Pedagogy. Oh my God, I've learned, I've learned so much of that. Like I have guilt. Yes. Uh-huh. I can remember. Like, I know. Doing this PL in, Hart- in Hartford, Connecticut, which is like one of the places I used to work, where I literally am like walking new teachers through unpacking the standards and unpacking writing standards. lesson plans from scratch. I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh. Like, no better, do better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we and all think, did, right? You know, that's, yeah. And I, I think that's one of the main purposes we you know, behind the PLPG is like, yes, first and foremost, we wanted to point districts to like a list of quality vendors. But at the end of the day, like we hope five, 10 years down the road, we have the same impact on the professional learning marketplace that Ed reports has had on the curriculum marketplace. You know, we want it to encourage publishers and professional learning organizations to like provide high quality PL to teachers so that you are not getting um, and delivering some of the PL that you guys were just discussing. And we also put this guy to really like help educate districts on what to expect out of their PL partners, right? Like to help them understand that, you know, curriculum based PL is like goes across an entire continuum for launch into like the constant ongoing support for teachers and leaders. And, you know, so that they then expect that of their providers. Um, so that, you know, that's kind of the purpose behind it. Um, you know, and Lizzie had a feedback call with one of our providers the other day who shared with the, her that, you know, the process of going through our application was like incredible professional learning for them as an organization because they went like criteria by criteria in our rubric and compared that against their services, you know, and it helped them to address gaps where they maybe weren't like, you know, doing some of these things with teachers and school leaders. And so like really like, you know, incentivize them and encourage them to like improve um, some of their training, which is like, so, you know, um, rewarding for us to hear as an organization to know that like, even in its infancy, we're already starting to have some of that impact. So 
If I'm at a school or a district or wherever I'm at in my seat and I wanted to use this PLPG, can you guys tell me a little bit about like what, what's in there, what I would see, how do I use it, how it could be helpful? Yeah, so it's, um, I would say it's sort of like in some ways, not always, and there are some key differences, like analogous to like a consumer reports or, you know, it's again, sort of um, analogous in spirit to what Ed Reports does. So you would um, go to the, the professional learning partner guide. Um, and on that page, you can search by phase. So if you already use a high quality um, instruction material, um, for example, you use, let's say, Wit and Wisdom, right, which is green on Ed Reports. And you would you could say, I'm looking for someone who, to support me in launching that curriculum. So we just adopted it for the first time. We know our teachers are going to need some kind of what I call like open the box support um, on how to use it. So you could click launch PL and then it would pull up a list of providers who have been vetted and approved by Rivet. And specifically, again, our reviewers who are educators actually do the reviews. It's not Annie and me. Um, and then you could uh, click on those providers and it'll pull up a profile page where it'll provide you with a bunch of helpful information about that PL provider. So it will tell you what sorts of clients that PL provider, that organization is best equipped to serve. Um, is that PL provider best equipped to serve small districts, medium districts, really large districts? Some of them are equipped to do all of them. Some of them are best equipped to do one versus another. Um, it'll tell you like the full suite of curricula that they support. Again, all those curricula are green on Ed Reports um, because to get into the guide, you have to provide support mm -hmm. that is uh, focused on implementation of, of HQIM um, as defined by green on Ed Reports. So it'll tell you that. It'll tell you a little bit about the short-term, a sample short-term um, PL offering that the, that organization provides, a sample long-term offering that 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 PL provider um, uh, uh, services. Uh, it'll tell you a little bit about the racial makeup of that organization. So how many people of color work there? Because we know that's really important. So there's a sort of a plethora of information about each organization that districts can then use to decide which organization might be best um, equipped to serve them. Because again, we know that local education agencies know their own needs best. And so our goal is to provide them with information that they need to make an informed decision and to sort of separate like the wheat from the chaff, right? There's, we just discussed, there's a lot of chaff PL out there. There's a lot of sort of mediocre PL out there. So we want to elevate the wheat and then help people decide what flavor of wheat is best for them based on their own local context. Yeah, and we also asked the providers to respond to a couple of questions in their profiles too that I think help better separate the wheat from the chaff in that we like ask them explicitly, how do your services help to confront racism in classrooms? Um, we ask them like, how do you build capacity within a district um, to support like the long-term implementation of a curriculum? Um, so basically like, how do you work yourself out of a contract? Because it's unrealistic to expect that like you would contract with this PL provider indefinitely. They need to be like creating a talent pipeline in that district that can support implementation long-term. And then we also ask them, and this is important for like districts like you guys in Baltimore, of like, how do you work with other PL providers in that district to like eliminate confusion and like mixed messages that we see um, and have heard from districts happen all too often where one PL provider is using this observation tool and another provider is using this one yep. and they look very, oh very different. And they <laughs> yeah. ask different things of like school leaders and teachers, like that's crazy. Let's get together and like come up with a plan about how we're going to like work in tandem with one another, because it's not like, you know, it's not unrealistic to expect that a school, if you're a, like a, a K-8, you might have multiple providers in there that support like ELA and math and at different um, grade levels, right? Like just depending on the expertise of those organizations. And so we have like this added layer of in these profiles that can help a district, like Lizzie said, really find a partner that's right for them. Um, because just because a just like a provider might be like the best and highest rated, like on, on our rubric, doesn't necessarily mean they're the right district for you, right. In your right. local context. Um, and so 
we kind of like added a little layer there um, of information to help them better make more informed decisions. Also, the address is www.plpartnerguide.org. I think we've, uh, that would be an important piece of information to share with listeners of like, how do you even get to the guide? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, and I will link it in our show notes. <laughs> no, great, 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 great. I think it's so smart that um, the, the baseline that you used to kind of jump into uh, PL and high quality PL was that green on ed reports. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that speaks volumes to how you're elevating the PL that, I mean, your baseline is green on ed reports and then high quality PL goes from there. Um, you know, we're not choosing high quality PL to align with a red on ed reports. That seems kind of backwards. So yeah. I, and the reason for that, Lori, just to build off that point, yeah. and this is something we used to talk a lot about at LDOE because we would get asked at LDOE why we weren't providing more support around curricula that um, weren't rated at the at Louisiana, as you guys uses Louisiana believes it's a little, they have their own kind of rating system yeah. um, that aligns to their, to the Louisiana standards and to the top tier, like the best tier. We would get questions all the time about why the LDOE is not doing more to support curricula that are not in that top best tier uh, um, of quality. And our response was honestly that like the amount of professional learning and support that teachers and leaders um, would need to um, provide really rigorous, meaningful, cohesive, aligned instructions to students using a lower quality curricula. Yeah. Like the juice is not worth the squeeze. Like the squeeze, you have to squeeze it. Like it's like so much squeezing. Like it's just really, really difficult. And so districts would be better served moving to a high quality instruction material and then providing support on that than they would doing the incredibly heavy lift of providing just an insane amount of PL that equips teachers to take a not high quality curricula and make it good. Like, I just can't underscore how difficult that is um, and I just don't think it's worth district's time to do that. So that is why, Lori, we, at, at, for the PLPG, we started out saying, we're actually just going to like green on ed reports is the baseline here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going to focus on professional learning that supports teachers in using those curricula effectively. That, that thank so you for sense. explaining that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. The juice is not worth the squeeze. That I mean, is we right. see that here in Baltimore, even with, you know, we don't have a high school curriculum that we adopted and the difference in the professional learning that you can do around wit and wisdom versus a not very formed curriculum at all. Homegrown curriculum is, I mean, it's night and day. There's, I mean, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's, it's not the same as what you can do with that high quality curriculum. I do want to shout out teachers like they just like it puts so much burden on teachers right and I just I just feel like our teachers deserve better than that um and deserve to spend their time again on what they're best equipped to do um which is bringing lessons to life for students and like really differentiating those lessons for students like that's where their time is better spent. Their time is not best spent figuring out how to take a crummy curriculum and make it better like why (laughs) Yeah. And I, I have to give a shout out to Baltimore here. Um, Baltimore is holding, they're holding, I mean, we, Melissa and I have talked about high school and Melissa, you could talk about this better than me, but um, they're, they're waiting for the high quality curriculum to arrive on the scene for high school. Um, you know, they could have picked one a couple of years ago and they didn't because they didn't feel as though there was one available that was meeting their needs and was appropriate for um, what they have coming to them in K from K eight, um, and so I just think mm-hmm. that is that speaks volumes that a district is willing to say, you know what, we're going to wait because we don't want to do what you just described. Let's see, we don't want to do that heavy lift and pick something. I mean, districts don't just willy nilly pick a curriculum; it, it, they stick with it for quite some time. So, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of money was, on them, right? This yes. is a huge yep. investment. <laughs> And it's a big investment. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm curious, in, if I were um, working at the State Department of Ed, like, I don't know, any state, how would, how would I use the PLPG? Like, how could that help me? 
Yeah, we're seeing states use it in a, in a few different ways. Um, so um, uh, states have essentially started pointing people to it just as a resource or a tool. Again, like we see that um, state agencies can play a really important role in pointing to quality. Um, and I want to be very clear that like, and, and Lori, this builds off the point you just made, like districts want to make quality decisions, right? Like they're not making they're not making less than quality decisions because they're like, we just like crummy stuff. It's really hard. There's just so much out there and it's incredibly difficult to sift against, you know, the wheat from the chaff or separate the the cream from the milk or whatever the expression is and figure out what is good. And that's where, again, we feel state agencies can play a role is just pointing to quality and saying this stuff is quality among this stuff, choose the, the, the one that fits you the best. And so state agencies are using the PLPG in that way. They're saying, look, this is a website you can go to where there are a bunch of organizations who have been vetted, who provide professional learning that uh, reflects the tenets and the principles that Annie highlighted earlier. Um, and so if you need someone to help you uh, implement your high quality instruction material, this is a good place to go. And then districts can go to that website and say, okay, of these people, we think this organization is the best fit for us. Um, some state agencies have also chosen to um, uh, get a state-specific version of the guide. Um, and so um, we know that, you know, every state is unique and that some states would prefer to have something that, um, you know, really fits their, their branding and, um, you know, like feels very uh, sort of uh, tailored to their state. And so we have worked with some states to create versions that like that are sort of specific to them. Um, so those are a couple, couple ways that state agencies are using uh, using the tool. In addition, some state agencies and, and um, the Texas Education Agency is doing this a little bit. Um, you know, in some cases, they partner state agencies partner directly with or contract directly with PL providers um, to serve their districts. And so sometimes state agencies are using this tool to figure out like if they're going to release an RFP, who might they send this RFP out to? Who do they want to make sure this RFP is on the is on their radar? Um, so we've heard um, state agencies using it in that way as well. That's really interesting. Thank you. Annie, did you want to add? I, I felt like I cut you off a minute ago and I'm not sure if I did or not. <laughs> no, I was just going to say like, I think, you know, one of the things I think we are hoping that I said this earlier that like we want the professional learning guide to like help educate districts on the continuum of professional learning. And so like, not only is it about making sure teachers have the right start with their curriculum, but I think what we're seeing play out sometimes is that not providing that like ongoing support for teachers, but also leaders, leaders play a really big role in the success of a curriculum And if they don't have the right training that they need to understand the environment that they need to create in their school to support that curriculum, like if your curriculum requires a 90-minute ELA block, do not force that into 45 minutes. It will fail, right? Like you can't do that because your schedule has always been a 45-minute ELA block. It's going to fail. Yep. (laughs) Um, And so I think, you know, I was going to ask Lizzie to share a story where she's like observed kind of this firsthand because what we see is sometimes they blame the curriculum. And they abandoned ship. And like you said, there's a lot of money and time invested in launching that curriculum. But at the end of the day, like they're blaming the wrong thing. Um, And I know like she's recently like been sitting in and doing some um, virtual observations of classrooms. And so I was going to see if maybe she wanted to share that story of like how a district kind of was going down this road um, and thankfully did not. (laughs) Yeah, happy to share that. So um, Rivet Education, in addition to providing the, creating the professional learning partner guide, which is the website we've been talking about. Um, We also offer consulting services to, and and coaching services to both state agencies and to um, districts, local education agencies. Um, And so um, I I was doing some observations in one of the districts with whom we work. um, And that district is using InterReading, which is green on ed reports. Um, It's an HMH product. Um, and, um, but when I went into classrooms to observe, I saw that students weren't always reaping the benefit 
of that high quality instruction material. And just to give a quick example, I went into a third, well, I didn't go into it because it's COVID. So I was doing a virtual observation. (laughs) Um, And so I like, quote unquote, went into this classroom. Um, And uh, it was a third grade classroom. And the the very well-intentioned, very hardworking teacher um, was having his students fill out a worksheet where it had two words next to each other, like car, and then a, like a plus symbol, and then pool. And they, the students would write on the line underneath carpool. And it was a series of these, right? So basically taking two words with a plus sign between and writing the compound word on the line beneath. And this activity required next to no thought. Um, and just really, and the words also didn't come from a text that the students had been reading. So this idea that you make meaning of words so that you could make meaning of rich texts was really lost. It was very disconnected. Um, But again, this teacher was not to blame for that. He had not received training to really understand the tenets of interreading and why that curriculum was designed the way it was and how to use it, particularly how to use it in a remote setting, which is of course the additional challenge that our teachers are facing Um, during the pandemic. And so as a result of that, his students weren't getting the quality of instruction that they deserve and the quality of instruction that that teacher clearly wanted to provide, right? Um, And I I think that in this case, the district had underestimated the amount of professional learning and support that their teachers would need to implement into reading effectively. and again, which was exacerbated by the pandemic and having to figure out how to do it remotely. Um, and so this is an example of, again, where you have a good curriculum. It's not playing out in classrooms in the way that, um, that we would hope. And it's not the fault of the teacher. Uh, it's just a reflection of the fact that, that teachers and leaders, as Annie said, haven't always been getting the support that they need to use that curriculum um, as intended. And again, that's where we hope that the, the professional learning guide can, can help people in, in, as Annie said, a few ways. One, helping them understand the continuum of support that educators do need. Two, pointing them to vetted partners who are qualified to provide that kind of support. And then three, as Annie mentioned earlier, like improving the, the, the supply side of the market. So also sending those same signals to PL providers and saying, hey, you should really be providing PL that meets these criteria because this is actually what's going to lead to the uh, change in classroom um, and better outcomes for teachers and students. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm envisioning, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'm envisioning in my head, like the curriculum in front of this teacher, the teacher trying to make sense of the curriculum, the leader possibly you know, saying one thing or another thing, or um, you know, we don't know. And then the district giving messaging, and then the partner who they're working with. There are a lot of cooks in that kitchen. And really, the end of the day, we, we, we need the student who is at the very center of that web <laughs> to have the highest experience possible. And so we need all of, all of the, uh, the people involved to be able to communicate clearly and to be on the same page about the expectations. And the only way to do that is to really understand the why behind it and and many other components, but that's one of them. Um, I, I do believe that when people, I've seen, I've seen it, you know, when people understand the why, um, it does help their actions to um, be more, uh, show more fidelity or show more integrity toward the materials and to understand um, how to move forward with them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think yeah, that that's Yeah, I really amazing. agree with that, Lori. And I just to like add on, in the case of this, this teacher that I was just mentioning, he had been using a very skills-based approach to teaching ELA for pretty much his entire career, which Mm -hmm. was often, again, sort of reinforced by the curricula that they had been using before they were using into reading. Um, The the older curriculum had also taken a very skills-based approach. And so it's why, like even more reason why teachers need that support to understand the why behind the curricula, why it's designed the way that it is, including the connection to the science of reading, um, because this is a really fundamental shift for teachers to make. And I just think that like too often we, everyone, like people like us and 
district leaders and state leaders and school leaders and teachers themselves, the whole kit and caboodle, underestimate what a sort of profound shift this can be for teachers. And again, the sort of um, level um, and quantity of support that they need to help them make that shift. Yeah. So thinking of that, like I always think of, like to give an example, right? I think about the SEL that is involved in high quality instructional materials, the social emotional learning component that is really naturally woven into the texts and the tasks. And um, just even the other day, I was helping a colleague um, work through a, gosh, what was it called? Um, It was like, we had to do a little... Uh, outline of of what is love and you had to say love is and uh, you know just like a love board if you will Um, but we were showing our ideas and examples for students to think through and I'm like doing this I'm like I was still thinking about it when I walked the dog two days later like I wanted to go back and revise (laughs) my board as an adult I was like well love could be this too and this the social emotional piece that um, teachers are so ingrained, you know, have so deeply ingrained in them. Like, I think we all said we wanted to, to help, right, um, our students. And that was very fundamentally clear in why we, we all became teachers. And um, the, the SEL component in high-quality instructional materials mm-hmm. is critical. And helping teachers see that it's not always a physical piece. So, like, just... To give an example, like I see all kinds of Facebook posts now, how we're going back to school. Does anybody have any pencil bags? Um, you know, extra pencil bags laying around their house where I could grab these materials and put them in the bags for my students or um, I need masks, who can help? Um, those physical things represent also like what the high quality instructional materials do, just not in a physical way. And so I think it's helping mm-hmm. teachers see, like if I gave SEL as an example, like they're the, supporting students in their social emotional learning is giving them a pencil bag with a pencil and a highlighter and a mask, but it's also providing them with the opportunity to read high quality text, to interact with characters who look different than them and scenarios that they will may never experience and that they won't look around and see outside their window. So helping te- the only way to do that is through high quality PL connected to what they're doing every single day. I, that was like a really long, long-winded way to say, <laughs> to give an example of that. Um, yeah, I would, I, say like, I would say like, I think the curriculum, like, so some of that stuff, um, whether it's, you know, um, SEL um, and, or like additional supports for diverse learners. Like I, I do, I do want to like say, I think publishers and authors, you know, people who make curricula, need to get better at building a bunch of that stuff into their curricula. And I think that is happening slowly. Um, And so I think I want to put like authors on the hook for that as well. Um, But then like, but we, I would say two things. One, when that happens, you're right, Laurie, like teachers are going to need a ton of support to use those, to to make the best use of of those components of their curricula. Um, And then in addition to that, until that really happens, because you know, I think I would say curriculum providers are still kind of working on um, building more of that into the materials. So while that work is still happening, then like the, you're right, the only way to get there is to have really strong professional learning. Um, that goes again to this idea of like bringing lessons to life for students. A lot of the SEL uh, components that you're talking about are, are part of that. And yeah, like I think PL has to close that gap. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, it has been like, I feel like we're going to need a part two. Um, the next time you <laughs> update, revise the guy, <laughs> add on to the guy. More um, than we'll happy to, to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we always, always, always ask our guests to leave a piece of advice to our listeners. And um, I would love to know what advice you'd like to share with the, the teachers and the leaders or the, maybe even the moms and dads who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, so I think, you know, for us, I'll leave you with a, again, a belief that we hope is like we see just like reflected across the country and that we believe that teachers deserve high quality professional learning on the materials that they're using. Um, But we also recognize that like this requires an ongoing commitment on the part of schools and districts 
and um, putting the right support structures in place to do this work really well. And this can be hard, really hard. And so our advice is don't go it alone. Don't abandon a good curriculum because you're struggling. Use the professional learning partner guide to find an expert that can come in and support you in the process. Um, and that can really meet your unique professional learning needs. Um, so our advice is don't go it alone. Um, but even if the idea of using the professional learning partner guide um, may be overwhelming and you're like, I don't even have time to do that to select a great partner, give us a call. Shoot us an email. Like we are more than happy to uh, support a district in that process. Um, you know, knowing all of these providers really well, um, we can help you. Um, but yeah, don't don't try to do it alone. Um, and it's okay that you might not have the expertise within your own school district to effectively support your curriculum. Um, as Lizzie said, like we don't expect teachers to be curriculum writers and curriculum experts all the time. And so, especially if you've adopted a brand new curriculum, um, you may not have that expertise at the local level and that is okay. Um, the professional learning partner guy can point you to someone who does. That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, so find your support group, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, let's see, you're up. <laughs> I guess I just like second really what, what Annie said, right? Like I just, um, I just envision a world where every single day in every single classroom, students have the opportunity to engage in rigorous, interesting learning um, and that teachers don't feel alone in having to make that happen. That teachers have the instructional materials um, that provide them with some support and then they have professional learning that helps them figure out how to use those instruction materials well. Um, and so I would say like my, my advice would be um, if you're not sure if you're using high quality instruction materials, go to Ed Reports and, and look up your curriculum and, and see how it fares. And if it doesn't fare well, um, I would um, put a plan in place to get something better. And again, I, I, I know I say that as if it's like a small thing to do. It is not lost in me that going through an adoption <laughs> process is like time consuming and expensive and all of that. So, um, yes. Um, but, um, but it's also very exciting, right? It is exciting. It's a great opportunity yes, and worth the investment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the upfront investment, I will save a lot of, um, of heartache on the back end, including heartache for teachers and heartache for students. And so get a high quality instruction material. And then I would say, as Annie said, like, don't go it alone. Your, your teachers, your leaders are going to need upfront and ongoing support to use those instruction materials effectively. Um, and so provide that support, but don't feel you have to, to provide that support all yourself. There are people out there um, whom we have vetted, who we feel really confident have the expertise to do that. Yeah. I think about, you know, how difficult the process is. You're right. It's not easy. It's very exciting um, to think about the potential for high quality materials in the hands of teachers and in the as students interacting with them. But what I think about the most, like as when I worked um, in Baltimore and in the district spaces, we talked a whole lot about how we could help the kids who were struggling. And this, right, tier one instruction, core instruction, quality instruction for all is the first step in helping. And so if we don't have that baseline set, we can't, we really can't build on and do anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, Absolutely. I mean, for any district leaders, principals, I mean, even teachers, like advocate, like advocate for their students mm -hmm. here. Like, I'm not sure what to do, how to help them. High quality instructional materials are your first step in the right direction. And then that PL to support is the next one. I mean, or really actually should be at the same time. But <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, we are so grateful for you two taking some time to talk with us today. You were amazing. And um, we cannot wait to read the, uh, update. should we say updated guide? Is that, are we, how are we phrasing it? Updated? Yeah. Updated yeah. We just released it on February 24th. And so we've got 20 new providers now in there that are servicing 
I think we figured out close to 70% of all green rate, um, rated curriculum. So like nearly um, a, a large majority of all the curriculum are serviced by at least one provider in our guide. And they service all 50 states. So you South Dakota out there, there's providers out there to even help you and that are um, ready to work with your state. So that's exciting. Yay. Well, thank you for your work. And we're going to, well, you'll have to um, go international because we do have international listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be your next uh, goal. Yeah, we love you. <laughs> yeah, well, although we may we may set ourselves up for that. Like you know, Rivet typically doesn't provide PL ourselves, but if someone in like you know Bora Bora needs professional learning, like sign me up. I will Especially go. with I this will winter, do, <laughs> I will do PL on yeah. um, whatever curriculum you're using. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, thank you both, and we are grateful. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and we will talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you all for having us. Thank Thank you. you.